Father, thank you for your word. It is sustenance for us, and we ask that you would be present among us. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that I might preach your word with confidence and love and draw us closer to you and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Normally, when we think of praying, we think about how we are the ones who pray to God. But did you know that Jesus prays for you? He does. The scriptures say that Jesus being raised to life from the dead makes, is always living to make intercession for you and me. Now, to intercede is to intervene on someone's behalf. It's to come between so as to prevent or alter the course of events for someone else. When I was in high school, my grandmother used to write me letters every year, periodically, sometimes even throughout the year. And at the end of her letters, she would tell me, Jack, I pray for you daily that you might come to know the love of Jesus. You see, in high school, I was in rebellion, and I was depressed, and my grandmother knew about that, and she sent me those letters all throughout the year. And it wasn't until college that I came to faith that I was so thankful that my grandmother uh, had intercessory prayer on my behalf. But sadly, there came a time when my grandmother passed, and with her passing, those intercessory prayers ceased. But this is not so with Jesus. He is always living to make intercession for you and for me. So I wonder, would you be curious to know what Jesus prays about when he prays for you? Does the thought of that scare you? Would you like to eavesdrop on Jesus when he's talking to the Father about you? I remember uh, vividly my wife and I standing outside the corner of of my children's bedrooms when they were about three to five years old. At night, when they're in bed, after we tucked them in and prayed with them, we'd listen to them sometimes pray out loud or talk to themselves. And while I don't have a recording and I don't have it memorized in my head, the things they said, they were just so funny and they were so full of life. But I have the next best thing. This is one of my favorite books in all of my theological library. It's called Children's Letters to God. And I want to share a few of them with you. These are a collection of letters that children wrote as prayers to God. Here is one from Sam who said, Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Here's another one from Nan who says, Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. (laughs) Here's Donna who says, We read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it, so I bet he stole your idea. Trying to find that last one here. 
Here it is, my favorite. Dear God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. If we could eavesdrop on Jesus praying for you on the Father, what would he be saying? Well, ironically, that is exactly what we see here in John chapter 17. We get a very clear glimpse of what Jesus would be praying for as he intercedes for you. Now, at first reading, you may say, Jack, I really don't understand what he's saying. And if that is you, that's okay. I hope that I can explain it and encourage you this morning. This is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible that Jesus prayed. Now, we know that he would pray through the evening sometimes. He would go off into these desolate places and pray. We know that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this is the clearest picture of how Jesus prayed over a period of time. And in this context, he was praying specifically for his disciples. He knew that his arrest and his subsequent crucifixion on the cross was imminent. He was leaving. And so his prayer was for the disciples and for their future after his ascension. But this is also a prayer for Christians. And how do we know this? Well, first, God determined to preserve this account in the scriptures for us. We also know that Jesus is addressing the same context that we have today. We don't have Jesus physically walking with us day by day the way the disciples did, and that was about to change for them. But most importantly, at the end of this prayer, he mentions you. So there are seven intercessions, intercessory statements that I'd like to share with you this morning and just comment briefly on each one. The first is found in verse 11. Jesus keeps you in the Father's name so that you will experience true unity. Now, the word keep here is a protective keeping, but it is a, it is a protection that is about preserving and maintaining. And when we hear these, this phrase of in your name, it almost always refers to the character of God or the power of God. And it is more appropriate here that Jesus is addressing the character of God because he refers to him as Holy Father, Righteous Father. What is the character of God? If someone were to come up to you and say, what is the character of God? What would you say? How would you answer that? Well, the clearest answer we have is found in Exodus 34, verse 6. And this is when God gave his self-disclosure to Moses. And the scripture said that as he passed before Moses, it was declared, the Lord, the Lord compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so when Jesus says, he keeps you in the Father's name so that experience unity, he is saying, I am not going to let your faith go to waste, but I will continue to work in you, maintaining the formation of God's character in your life, because that is the only way you can experience unity, a unity that the world cannot ignore. And I'm going to come back to that unity at the end because Jesus mentions it again. The second intercessory statement 
is found in verse 12. Jesus says that he is guarding you so that you will not be lost. Now, guarding is also a protective term, but this is more about external attack. Jesus guards you from becoming lost. Even in the strongest season of doubt and discouragement. One only needs to consider Peter's denial and subsequent restoration by Jesus to know that is true. Now the reference here to Judas is not saying that Judas uh, was destined to um, uh, failure against his will. But we know earlier in John, I believe it's chapter 6, Jesus said that he knew from the beginning that Judas did not believe. Judas was so determined that there was no point of return. And it just happened to be foretold in the scriptures. The third intercessory statement is Jesus tells us that he's going to the Father so that his joy may be fulfilled in you. Now, as we celebrate graduation Sunday and we think about seniors who are leaving, there is a little bit of joy, but that's not quite the word you would expect to associate with leaving those that you care about. But this is precisely what Jesus guarantees. God's kingdom is not like the world. The world says, hold a tighter grip and you'll feel better. But Jesus released the disciples because he knew the Holy Spirit would come and fill their hearts with joy. It was this joy that sustained, that enabled Christ to endure the cross. There's a lot of things we can fake in our life. We can fake smiles. We can fake laughter. We can even fake piety. But joy is not something you can fake. But it's by its very nature, it is the thing that sustains us through hardship and difficulty. What is that joy? What makes up that joy? It's the joy of knowing you're accomplishing God's will. It's the joy that you know your identity is rooted in being loved by your Heavenly Father. It's the joy of anticipating Christ's return in glory. The fourth intercessory statement is found in verses 14 through 15. Jesus gives you his word so that you can resist the evil one. Now we know in John chapter 1, the word became flesh. And the scriptures say the word is synonymous with Jesus, the word incarnate. And so while we're told by the world, what you really need to resist Difficulty and evil in this world is more money, more power, more influence, more laughter, more religion. What Jesus says is you need more of me. You need a vibrant relationship with me. And the sustenance that you receive from the word of God that's preserved for us in the scriptures. It is no small thing that Jesus also identifies that our enemy is not a thing. It's not a sin that we struggle with. 
It's not doubt or disbelief. It's not even believing the wrong thing. But it is a real being who seeks to divide, who seeks to cause disciples of Christ to compete against one another, to destroy one another. But Jesus gives you his word so that you can resist the evil one. The fifth intercessory statement is that Jesus sent you into the world to proclaim his word. He sent you into the world to proclaim his word. Jesus' words and his life exposes the world's ways. One commentator defines the world, when we, when we read the word world in the scriptures as humans, human society organizing itself apart from God. But Jesus' words expose the world. It exposes its hypocrisy, its selfishness, its corruption. And for that reason, it hates Jesus. It hates those who boast in him and those who long to follow in his teaching. Jesus is aware of this. The world wants uniformity. It does not want unity. There is a poem that I read, uh, came across some years ago on the internet that was entitled Uniformity Versus Unity. And just a few lines I want to share with you because it stood out to me. Unity implies diversity. Uniformity eliminates it. Unity makes us one. Uniformity makes us the same. Unity springs from conviction. Uniformity comes from coercion. You see, the world says, let's take people's imperfections and let's exploit them for personal gain, to make more money, to cut the other guy down who's ahead of us. But the church says, let's have unity by loving one another, caring for one another in the midst of all of our imperfections. We embrace them because we are all working together to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not of this world, he says, but he came into the world to proclaim the good news. And so, in the same way, he is calling you out from the world's ways, to be set apart from the world's ways, but not to escape it, but to go into it and proclaim the good news just as he did. And he does not ask us to do this on our own strength. The sixth intercessory statement is when Jesus says, I have sanctified myself, I've consecrated myself so that you may also be sanctified. To be sanctified is to be set apart for a task, but it also means that you are prepared for that task. Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying, give me six hours to cut down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening my axe." God does not merely ask you to cut down a tree and leave you to your own devices to do it. He is sharpening the axe of your life to prepare you for that task. The last intercessory statement is that Jesus believes your testimony 
powerfully contributes to the unity that is within the body of Christ so that the world may believe that he is God's son. That is an amazing statement. Because Jesus believes in you, future generations of believers. Despite knowing in that moment when he said those words that his own disciples that he poured his life into for two to three years, that they were going to flee, they were going to doubt, they were going to despair. But it wasn't so much that he only believed that their faith would prevail, but that believers today, you, would be the proof of that. What is so remarkable about unity to the world? Well, for one, we know the world can't maintain unity. We see that today. But as I said earlier, the world takes broken people and it takes advantage of them for its own personal gain. But we in the church, we embrace that we are all God's workmanship in progress. When I was in college, I attended a church and um, there was an elder there who had a son who was in high school. And this son was an uh, open skinhead. Today's terms, we might refer to them as a white supremacist. You knew it by the way he dressed, by the way his visage, his face. You could tell he was an angry young man. And he had hatred. And people avoided him. He was kind of scary to be around. Well, there was one Sunday that we had a missionary worship team that traveled from Africa and led us in worship. It was a predominantly white church, and this worship team was all black. And they led us in worship that morning, and it was a powerful time. And at the end of the service, the pastor stood up and invited that anyone who would like to come up for prayer to please come up to the front, and prayer ministers would be there to pray. And to everyone's shock in that entire congregation, that young high school man walked by himself up the center aisle and came up for prayer. And that worship team from Africa gathered around him, laid hands on him, and prayed for him. He committed his life to Christ that day and continued on to be discipled. He joined our, our men's prayer groups, and his life was radically changed. That is a unity that the world cannot ignore. And that is the unity that Jesus says causes even the world to, to believe that he is God's son. So what difference does it make to you to know that Jesus prays for you? Would you be saying this morning, Jack, I would like to know more about the character of God because I need help with unity among my brothers and sisters in Christ. Or perhaps you desire to know the joy of the Lord over worldly possessions that have not satisfied. 
Perhaps you desire more of God's words to sustain you in seasons of doubt and discouragement and despair. Maybe you have resisted the call to be set apart in fear of how you might be ridiculed or made fun of or put down. Or perhaps you struggle to believe that Jesus believes in you and believes in your testimony and those who may come to faith as a result of your testimony. In a moment, we're going to sing our sermon response song, Jesus, I Love You. And as we sing that song, let us voice that desire, that need that we have to the Lord with the knowledge that he is praying for you daily. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross. And though you left us, the Holy Spirit has been sent to give us joy. Thank you that you've given us your word, that you have guarded us, you have kept us, that you have set us apart. I pray, Lord, that those of us who identify as being disciples of Christ, no matter where we are in our measure of faith, would declare our love for you and our submission to whatever you call us to do, knowing that you don't call us to do it on our own strength, but you will equip us, you will prepare us. I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here who is struggling with disunity within the family of God, that they would seek you and that you would transform their heart. And that through that testimony, others would come to have faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.